Hello and welcome to the Derek Hunter Show for this Wednesday, the 16th day of August 2023. It's hump day and not just for the week, but for the month. We are now closer to September than to July. You're already starting to see some Halloween items out there. I don't know when that started to become the case, but I guess that's part of our culture now. Everybody is pretty impatient to get to the next holiday. They want those items on the shelves as long as they can. And hey, who am I to turn down a piece of candy? Ooh, piece of candy. I am your guest host, Dean Carianis. Ooh, piece of candy. And thank you to those of you who are listening while I fill in for Derek this week. My wife pointed out that, isn't it the Derek Hunter podcast? And she also said, Derek always gets mad at me or gives me a hard time because he says my show should not be called the History Author Show. It should be called the History Author Podcast. But there is another History Author Podcast out there. After I started doing mine, somebody who I had worked with, as it happens, decided to choose practically the identical name. And so that is not me. I am the History Author Show. And I also like to call things a show because I also do those YouTube videos that I try to produce up and really bring my author's books to life. So that's why I call it the History Author Show. Also, I'm reminded of something that Rush Limbaugh once said. I am a longtime staffer from his show, and I have a lot of his wisdom, memories, and witticisms in my mind. And one was that when he decided to call it the Rush Limbaugh Show, there was a producer in radio that insisted that he call it the Rush Limbaugh Program because he said, shows have animal acts. This isn't a show. And so there you go. The History Author Show, The Derek Hunter Show. I also am an escapee from Fox News Channel, as many of us refer to it. Talk about showing the sausage made. None of those movies that have been made bashing Fox come close. Those almost make me feel sorry for Fox because it's so absurd to attack them as if we had gay and lesbian producers in the closet. They were running plenty of the shows back then. Nobody ever thought that way. There was none of this stuff they showed. As far as that goes, it's very weird to see people talk about that and what it was like. I mentioned the History Author Show. You can find the over 250 interviews I've done there at historyauthor.com or wherever you listen to Good Pod. And you can find me on Twitter at History Dean. I'm on a bunch of other social media, LinkedIn. You can always find me there. You know how it works. All you have to do is manage to spell my last name, Carianis. Remember to support this show at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or at derekhunter.locals.com. Derek will be doing the weekend effort review as scheduled on Saturday morning when the clock strikes midnight. Can you imagine the stream of obscenities that are going to issue forth from Derek when he finally gets back after a week off and after all that is going on in the news? He's probably going to have to invent some new swear words just to talk about the news the way it deserves to be talked about. And it reminds me of a line, speaking of the upcoming holidays racing towards us, from the 1983 classic A Christmas Story. This is how I would describe Derek and what the Week in Afternoon Review is going to be like this week. Oh, blast it! In the heat of battle, my father wove a tapestry of obscenity that, as far as we know, is still hanging in space over Lake Michigan. So that's the kind of high art you can expect from the Week in Afternoon Review on this weekend. 
I'm also continuing Derek's tradition of offering you the chance to win a signed book of your very own. The New York Sun is giving away autographed copies of Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's Never Give an Inch, Fighting for the America I Love. You can enter your name into the sweepstakes at nysun.com slash book. That's nysun.com slash book. Enter the big sweepstakes. Try your luck. What is better than a signed copy of a book? Derek, I always think it's very kind of him that he offers signed books to all of you fine listeners that follow the Derek Hunter show because he treasures them. He waits online for them. He has them in his home on shelves. And the fact that he's willing to part with them shows he's really giving all of you in the audience a little bit of himself. That sets him apart from a lot of the hosts out there who, as Paul Simon sang, I don't trust what I read in the papers. They're just out to capture my dime. The New York Sun, Penny Daily. You can get it for a penny a day. We are not even trying to capture your dime a dime. That's a lot of money. That's 10 days worth of reading us at the New York Sun. Sign up for the New York Sun at that penny a day rate. Still here in 2023, 190 years later, the price has not changed. And you get a free mug with that if you go to nysun.com slash mug. So you get a snazzy mug and you get some of that best, most honest, just kind and thoughtful journalism out there. I cannot imagine working for another place when I read some of the other media out there. It just wouldn't be as great a fit. A lot of people really are, if not trying to capture your dime anymore, just trying to capture your click. Okay, the big news of the day today. President Trump has been indicted for the fourth time. I put some thought into saying something nobody else is saying about this, because that's what I always try to do in my writing, certainly what I was trained to do all those years working for Rush. I perused a little bit of the media out there and listened to a little of the conservative radio, watched a little conservative media. I made all these sacrifices for all of you in the Derek Hunter listening audience, by the way. Ordinarily, I would not. I would probably just listen to Derek and listen to a couple other things. But I listened and I thought, stop whining. That was the thought that came to me because it's so easy to get that victimized mentality. And I am just tired of the whining. I'm tired of that tone that we can all get in our voice sometimes. But you're on national news. You're running for office. You're either whining about Donald Trump and what he did or you're whining that he is being persecuted. And I don't think as people that are conservatives that are tethered to Donald Trump, whether you like it or not, he looks like he's still going to be the likely nominee and he could be campaigning from prison like the Socialist Party candidate, Eugene V. Debs, who I discussed in a column earlier this month and who I talked about on Monday compared to what President Trump might do if he's forced to campaign from a cell, run a front cell campaign rather than a front porch campaign. This is politics. It is a blood sport. But you promised, but you said, blah, 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 stopping feet. But he's mean. They're mean to him. What's going on? The aggressor sets the rules. And I just find all of the whining and the being shocked really off-putting. Donald Trump is a threat to everybody in the establishment. Do you think they were just going to sit there? and be drained and be tweeted meanly about. None of these people are ever used to being insulted, much less called out on things. You have to be ready for that. And this is something that Rush spoke personally to Donald Trump about when he won. And he said, oh, no, I'm going to get along with all these Democrats. I know all of them from New York. I gave him money. He raised something like 600 grand for 
Chuck Schumer. He raised a lot of money for him. He knew all of these people. He used to be a Democrat. And Rush said, I cocked my head and said, really? You think you're going to get along with them, huh? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to be we're going to be fine. We're going to get along. We're going to do some great things. I know. I, Schumer, hey, he's a fellow guy from New York City. He's from Brooklyn. I'm from Queens. We're going to get stuff done. Well, that was not the case, and it's still not the case. I happened to be in the hotel on election night when President Trump won his shocking victory over Secretary Clinton. I was on the same floor as Mike Pence as it happened. And when President Trump came out and people were chanting, lock her up, he quieted the crowd. We're not going to do that. We want peace. We want unity. Meanwhile, a little bit south of the hotel at the Javits Center, where she built that big glass ceiling that she was going to smash through symbolically, she wasn't even giving a concession. And I know people who were at that. And I'll tell you one thing. It was very different from the Trump one, not just because President Trump won, but President Trump was making sure that the liquor was filled and people had food and he was taking care of people. And down at the Hillary event, they just turned off the TVs for one thing. They weren't feeding anyone, giving him water, anything. So that tells you a little bit about how they look at you. And I think also why people are so devoted to President Trump and they feel that connection to him, even amidst all of this that's going on. And the fact that he's still tied with President Biden, just shocking. That's part of the reason why the man is... As I say of Greeks often, we're a service people. And I think President Trump knows how to make that connection. And that's what people like. They want you to remember their name. And it's something that I think President Clinton definitely had. And if Hillary Clinton had listened to him, which by all accounts she did not, she probably would have done better. But you can't graft off something like likability anyway. You either have those instincts or you do not. So he didn't go after Secretary Clinton. And what happened? Well, they came after him and they came heavy. This was the same thing. President George W. Bush gets into the White House. Some of the Clinton staffers had trashed the computers. They'd torn the W's off keyboards. What did George W. Bush say? Well, we want to move on. We don't want to think about that. It was a contentious election. Okay. Now, if you hear about it, people say, well, that was a lie. That didn't happen. And he lied. And that story of vandalizing the White House has been turned into Bush lied about Democrats vandalizing the White House. Although I guess you don't hear it much anymore, nor do you hear the crazy 9-11 conspiracy theories from the left because President Bush has decided to join the victorious opposition and he's happy to slap down President Trump and he's the boogeyman of the moment. How soon people forget, I guess, what goes on and who was their enemy before. President Bush did that. He paid the price. The Senate was tied. The Republicans in the Senate also, they were going to be very nice about it. They were going to share. They were going to share committee ships. Well, what did Democrats do? Not only did they go and steal a Republican at that point, convince him to move, and Republicans didn't do much to keep Jim Jeffords. That was Jim Jeffords of Vermont that they coaxed over to their side. They had no interest in doing that here when we had a 50-50 Senate in 2020 when President Biden won. I certainly do not mind trying to, I hate that phrase, reach out to the other side. makes me sound like John McCain. We're going to walk across the aisle. Yeah, see, we're going to get out there and we're going to walk across the aisle. I'm the only one who can do it. I'm all for it. But you do it honestly and from a position of strength. And I think President Trump knew how to do that with people that were from other countries. He certainly was able to do it with even a reprobate like Kim Jong-un. He was able to talk to the guy and try to get some results. He was able to do it with a dictator like Xi Jinping. And he was able to talk to Putin. And yet I think We hesitate to look at fellow Americans like that. They have no problem looking at him like that. Trump is every bad person that you can possibly think of. Somebody has called him that, either a Democrat or a Republican in opposition. 
And he doesn't seem to get that. And I think that's very hard to do. And I think that's why people are so whiny. But what do you expect? It reminds me of something from Hamlet. When Claudius and Laertes plot to kill Hamlet, they poison the sword. They also poison Hamlet's drink because they want to make really sure that the guy dies. But forget it. He's going to give a monologue anyway at the end. This is Shakespeare after all. Something that always stuck with me is that Laertes is this little sniveling guy. And, oh, what am I going to do? And he goes and he says to Claudius, how do I know that Hamlet won't check the foil? How do I know that he's not going to look for poison? How do I know he's not going to smell his drink? Maybe maybe have some one of the minor characters try his, his poison for him. And Claudius says this thing that stuck with me since high school. And that is, well, Laertes, you're a scumbag. And you're a weasel and you're a sneaky, underhanded jerk. I'm reading a little between the lines. That's that's almost exactly what Shakespeare wrote, though, right? He called people jerks all the time. He's telling Laertes that and Laertes is like, well, thanks. That's not really an answer to my question that you're putting me down. He says, the point is Hamlet is pure of heart. Hamlet is pure of intent. Hamlet is not looking to poison anybody. He's not an underhanded guy. He's a good person. And you know, when you're a good person, you think everyone else in the world is good. When you're a bad person, you think everyone else in the world is bad. And I think that's a lot of what happened here, where Republicans look at everybody as if they are like them, whatever they are. I think President Trump just likes to make deals, probably thinks everybody would like to make deals. If I offer the Democrats a good enough deal, they'll make deals with me. If I offer Kim Jong-un a good enough deal, hey, he'll give up his nukes. And it doesn't work that way in real life. President George W. Bush clearly thought, I care about the country. I'm putting it first. His father cared so much about the country. And he really didn't want the conflict, honestly. I don't think George W. Bush, he just wanted to ignore it. He would tell Karl Rove, my fellow McKinley enthusiast, well, in 50 years when they write the histories, nobody will remember this. Just worry about the history books. That left a lot of other people out there to do the fighting, one of which, of course, was Rush Limbaugh. For instance, after one of the elections when Democrats won the House, they asked him in the press, well, Mr. President, you said all these horrible things about Nancy Pelosi, and this was so dangerous. And his response was, well, people say things during campaigns. And I thought, really? That's what you were doing? Okay. Because you're sitting there in the room with her. You want to impress her a little bit. Meanwhile, and this is something that's so key, people in campaigns will rip out our intestines and they will river dance all over them, up and down the Liffey River in Dublin, Ireland, and not care a whit. And then the next day they'll go and have drinks together. And they're doing it while we're living and dying, It just like sports teams. And, and politics is way more important than sports teams, right? Mark Bravaro of the New York Giants, he hated the Philadelphia Eagles and their coach, and he went and played there. And they said, how did you do that? You hated that guy. And he said, yeah, I still hated him, but that was the job. <laughs> well, most people don't really care. They just do the job. Their guns were hired. And then we're left feeling sick over it. And I think that's the road President Trump tried to take. And it was a mistake. There's a song by Mark Knopfler, you may know from Dire Straits, called Boom Like That. And I would encourage you to go play it because it's a real catchy song. But also, I love that it's about Ray Kroc, the guy who made McDonald's into this massive global empire. And it quotes a lot from his book, which is where Mark Knopfler got the idea. But there's this line, and it's a line that I'd sent to Rush once and he used it. I don't remember the context, but there's a line that's in the song, a line from Ray Kroc. And he says, competition, send them south. They're going to drown, put a hose in their mouth. That is what politics is. You have to fight and win. It reminds me of another president, Theodore Roosevelt. 
I talked yesterday how he taught his kids to swim by throwing them off the pier into Oyster Bay and you would either literally sink or swim. He had another lesson, what he taught his boys. He taught them from his boxing days, never hit it all if it could be honorably avoided. But if you do have to punch somebody, put his lights out. The biggest sin is hitting soft. And I think that the Republican Party has just learned to pull their punches, pull their punches, all this mealy mouth around the edges stuff. They remind me of George McClellan in the Civil War, those of you who are Civil War buffs out there. But he was a Union general, ended up being the Democratic candidate against Lincoln during the Civil War in 1864. And he would just play with his men. He would just train them, drill them, drill them. Anytime there was anybody on the other side in the Confederacy, he would convince himself they were a bigger, bigger army. He couldn't get that job done. President Trump is a little like U.S. Grant in the sense that he just goes at the enemy. He's kind of like a shark. Strategically, he's not going to wait. He's going to go to war with the army that he has, which is that Donald Rumsfeld quote that he was much pilloried for. But that's how things work. You don't get to have all of your ducks in a row. And sitting there and building your army like McClellan did is only letting the other side build their army at the same time. And if you have the numbers, which unfortunately the Republicans don't, victory always favors the bold. That's what you have to go for. And I find all of these little things, all of this whining on the Republican side, really off-putting, all of this effort to just go on Fox, just say, well, give us some money. We've got to win the House and then we can do it. We've got to win the presidency. We can do it. We have to, well, now we need the Senate. Another Theodore Roosevelt quote, do what you can where you are with what you have. Not always tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And I think that it's something that President Trump is learning now. I think it's something people are learning about him. But as Mr. Dooley said, if you don't know who Mr. Dooley is, he was this character of Finley Peter Dunn. I was trying to describe him to my wife, and my reference for this guy from the Gilded Age was Jackie Gleason in the 50s. And he used to do his Joe the Bartender routine where he'd be talking to a customer. With Mr. Dooley, it would be written in the paper, and he would be talking to an unspeaking customer and just giving the guy his thoughts on the issues of the day. He would do it in this broken, stereotypical Irish accent on the page that really leapt out. But Finley Peter Dunn, he's the guy who created it. And Mr. Dooley's the one who said politics ain't beanbag. If you have to hit somebody, throw your Sunday punch, as TR called it. No idea why they called it that in those days. But the biggest sin is hitting soft. And I think that's what's happening. I think that's what we're seeing. I think even at times when some of the Democrats would be inclined to still work with President Trump, he's the obstacle. He doesn't see himself as that. And you leave yourself open. You hit them soft. And this is what they come back for. I remember during that election that I mentioned with George W. Bush and Al Gore, he was talking about all this conciliation, 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 President George W. Bush. And I remember at the time I talked about this with Rush and I said, I have a great metaphor for it. When the Romans won and they defeated Carthage, they salted the fields. Probably myth. There's no proof of it anyway. But OK, the Romans come in, they kick the crap out of Carthage. They salt the earth. Well, Gore is from where? He was the man from Carthage, they said. Picked up on the man from Hope, which was President Clinton, because he lived in Hope. And that was it. Gore is the man from Carthage. Bush should be salting the earth. But he didn't. And what good did it do? And these are weighty issues. They're worth fighting for. And I don't see a lot of people that are willing to fight here. This is what you should be expecting. What did the former Republican governor of California say as Conan the Barbarian? Conan! What is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear a lamentation of your women. 
another one of those celebrities that Republicans were blinded to. <laughs> Thought he would be so great. He'd be the next big thing. And at the time, I remember Rush was supporting Congressman McClintock from up in the Sacramento area. And I'll be honest, we all were saying, come up, but star Arnold Schwarzenegger, come on. And he said, but he's not a conservative. And Rush knew Arnold. He'd met him. They'd hung out. They smoked cigars. There's this great photo of Rush and, and Arnold together. But he said, I care about the ideas. The guy's not a conservative. McClintock is a conservative. And Rush was right again. And we were wrong. We were a little blinded. I try to learn from that. And I try to be somebody who looks to the ideas first. When you hear people talking about what a weighty issue it is, remember, it's not about any of that really to people. It's about beating somebody. It's about throwing your Sunday punch. It's about knocking out President Trump. And he should be expecting them to come at him with everything they've got. And when he had the levers of power, now he's talking about it. He should have been going after them the same way, not in these little back room ways. Go at people directly. And if people aren't doing the job, Jeff Sessions, fire him. He should have fired the guy the minute that he said he was going to recuse himself from that Russia garbage. There was nothing behind that at all. Well, now we know what was behind it and who. I know that there's a lot of decisions to be made for a president. I know it's easy to misjudge anybody that you hire or that you're friends with or that you welcome into your orbit. But that doesn't mean that I excuse it because I'm here to comment on it. And I just think this idea of whining about it is something that we should just do away with. This is what we should expect every single time. I wrote a column in the New York Sun early last December about this idea of victimology and hearing all this whining. And I worked for somebody who was dying of cancer for an entire year. Rush never whined about it, even in private. And I know James Golden has talked about this, but when Rush called us and told us, he said, I'm sorry. He apologized to us. Who does that? Who, who apologizes for contracting cancer? but never whined. It just wasn't something he did. And so I guess it's something I train myself never to do, not to make excuses, not to whine, not to be victims of things. We all have things to complain about. It is so unappealing. And I think that's probably what a lot of conservative media is going to spend time doing now because they're just trying to capture your clicks. They're not really looking to fix this. It's just another topic and one that they think, hey, maybe I can get some followers and sell some Velveeta. That was our go-to sponsor, pretty much the only one we had back when I was at Fox. So it's my go-to example. Get that Velveeta out there. Get people buying Velveeta or my pillows or whatever you can possibly sell them. But this column was titled, Running as Victims of Twitter Won't Win GOP Any Votes. I wrote Twitter's new CEO, Elon Musk, is dripping out internal discussions showing how the company censored the story of Hunter Biden's laptop. You all know this. Yeah, Republicans hoping for a smoking tweet. Hey, that's a nice turn of phrase, if I do say so myself. I haven't read this in a while. <laughs> Yet Republicans hoping for a smoking tweet that wounds Democrats are in for disappointment and a reminder that no outside event is going to win elections for them. Now, speaking of this indictment today, we are seeing the President Trump's poll numbers keep bouncing up every time he gets indicted. In fact, there was a story in the New York Times and they said, it's temporary, it's temporary, which I had to chuckle out because when they report on good Republican poll numbers, it's always, hey, these are temporary, these are temporary. And when they report on good ones for President Biden or any other Democrat, it always seems to be, well, hey, this is great. They might as well just fold up the camp on the other side and they're done. They're done for. We like this poll. Shut up, shut up, shut up. I don't want to see the other ones. <laughs> so that that's a little bit of the case there, maybe. 
Of course, no poll is forever. As I just said, you can make a lot of money in this business or in the columnist business or in the news business by just stating the self-evident and sounding really sure of yourself like no one else has said it before. So yes, of course, it could change. They're saying pretty much it's guaranteed to, but we don't know what the future holds. Again, saying the self-evident, really great. Not exactly insight, but people get paid to do it. So I talked in this column about the black eyes for the left in Matt Taibbi's Twitter thread that I was sitting up on my fire pit <laughs> as I was writing this piece, I recall, reading it all, things that everybody should have known, things that should not make you whine. Twitter was owned by people who are openly hostile to all of the people probably listening right here, right now on the Derek Hunter podcast. So why are you surprised? Now you see what leftists are leaving. The people that are hard left that are on there, they can't get out of Twitter fast enough. They're trying to start new outlets or they're fleeing to Instagram. Personally, I don't care. I mean, I'm on Twitter at History Dean, I told you, but to me, it's a tool like any other tool. I don't have to go to bed with my new leaf blower or with my hammer drill. I don't, I don't have to take my router that I do to make shelves and cabinets and things and go, I'm going to take that to bed with me. It does what I need it to do. That's what Twitter is. The wider story of suppressing a story, this has happened before. I discussed it with David Petrusha, who you've heard, I believe, on Derek's show before. He's interviewed him. He's a fantastic author. His landmark book is The Year of the Six Presidents, about that 1920 election, when you had six candidates who would be presidents running either as the president or the vice president, and Theodore Roosevelt's ghost hanging over all of them. He died in 1919, or he very likely would have been the Republican nominee for a non-consecutive term. David Petrucci's latest book is Gangsterland, a tour through the dark heart of jazz age New York City. I discussed with him how they also managed to suppress a story of Franklin D. Roosevelt's son. He was doing business with who else? Russia. Does everybody do business with Russia but me? But he was doing it with Stalin's Russia. He was doing it with that dictatorship, trying to sell them bombers. They're going to suppress stuff. This happens. That's how the media works. There's no sense whining about it. You should know this. You should be prepared for it. What are you doing putting all your content on Twitter and Facebook anyway? This was something that happened that I, I saw personally. All these people were rushing out there. Rush, you've got to get on Twitter. You've got to get on Facebook. You've got to get here. you got to get there. Got to get on satellite. That was the first one. How's satellite doing now? And he said, no, my radio show is my radio show. And if you build your business model through how many retweets you get or how many shares you get on Facebook, you're giving other people the power to control your message. What happens when they take it away? And sure, they they took it away just because they decided some of the headlines that would just ask a question might be clickbait or might be untrue. That's why they take away your, your pages if you're if you're a conservative, if they disagree with you, or if you're somebody on the left that they don't like. There are examples of that too in this story. I wrote in this column about the Twitter files that conservatives celebrated as if each example is redeemable for a McRib sandwich, or better yet, a Senate seat in Georgia. But in the absence of criminal behavior, expect Democrats to dismiss the story as old news covered in March 2021, blah, 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 blah. You see where this is going. Everything for them is old news. Nobody on the Republican side seems to want to take a page out of that playbook and say these are old allegations against President Trump. Everybody's getting too much attention and play out of them. Here's Hillary Clinton. Listen to the joy in the woman's voice. This is not serious. Why should we let people get us down when they're clearly not serious about this? They're not broken up over it. They know just what they're doing. 
is the former Democratic presidential nominee, <laughs> U.S. Senator from New York and Secretary of State. I should tell you, she has a new essay out in The Atlantic on the well-being of Americans and our democracy. It's called The Weaponization of Loneliness. Madam Secretary, fancy meeting you oh, here. Oh, I it's can't really nice believe this. <laughs> yeah, this is not the circumstances in which I expected to be talking to you. Nor me, Rachel. It's always good to talk to you, but honestly, um, I didn't think that it would be under these circumstances. Yet another set of indictments. In this piece in the Sun, I also mentioned that quote from Mr. Dooley in 1895. Politics ain't beanbag. And he's right. You think about beanbag and what it is. It's just great symbolism, great writing back then. It's a game for kids. It's a game where you really can't even get hurt. <laughs> You're playing with a little bag full of beans. It can't hurt you. Even if you whip it at someone, eh, maybe. I'm seeming to have a flashback now to the 1970s. I guess it could hurt a little if they threw it hard enough, but it's certainly not going to mortally wound you. It's not baseball even. It's a game where you're not going to get hurt. It's a game for kids. Republicans ought not be surprised today. And they ought not be surprised when all the people saying how serious this is are really giddy about it. I saw former Speaker Pelosi just giddy over this. It's heartbreaking for our country to have a president of the United States uh, with this uh, list of charges against him. And I just want to commend the uh, January 6th committee, the House committee, bipartisan committee, Benny Thompson and Liz Cheney and the, all the members of the committee and the staff for the work that they did. They laid a foundation of facts, about facts and the law, and made a criminal referral to the Justice Department. That was, the end of that was in December of the end of last year, 2022. Uh, and not, we didn't know what we couldn't know. It wasn't uh, our role to know uh, what the Justice Department would do, if anything. So when it became clear that there would be criminal charges made, uh, it's interesting to see how similar they are to some of the uh, charges recommended by the January 6th mm -hmm. committee. And mm -hmm. I commend, again, the committee. I'm so proud of them, their courage, their bravery, and the courage, really, uh, of all of those who are making the case now. Of course, the president, uh, former president is uh, innocent until proven guilty. No one is above the law. And the assault that they are making on the rule of law in our country is really a, a sad thing. Brings, I'm sure it would bring tears to the eyes of our founders. And if you recall, after the first impeachment, when she was speaker, Nancy Pelosi had to tell people, don't celebrate, don't celebrate, don't look happy, pretend this is really solemn. She was telling them to pretend that that's not the part of the actual quote, but she was telling them all act, act really, really subdued. Don't applaud. Well, of course, it was show. It was all a show. It was all silly. I think that whole that entire thing was, well, because he called some guy and it corrupt Ukraine and they knew what it was. They, they didn't even read it. They did it all based on the recasting of it. They never thought, I believe, in a million years that President Trump would release the transcript of that call. And when they released it, it was nothing like what they were saying. They still went ahead and impeached him anyway. If you give them the power to do it, they are going to do it. You know, if you're a lion out there in the Serengeti, you can be distracted by a lot of hyenas. They all come at you. They all bite you and they nip you and they can exhaust you because you're trying to fight them, fight them, fight them. And by the time you get really tired, they'll come and they'll steal the prize away from you. So if you were planning on eating that antelope tonight, that antelope is gone because the hyenas come in and they bite you, bite you, bite you. I'll tell you where they go for on the lion. And let me tell you, 
Let's just say it's something the lioness doesn't have to deal with. And that's what they come after. And if you are a smart person, you avoid it if you're disciplined. And I think that's the main thing. That's what leads to a lot of these problems is just not being disciplined. And I understand that's easy to say, very hard to do. On this topic, I want to leave you with some last thoughts from this New York Sun column I wrote. And that's how Republicans seem to think scandal will help them to win. I also wrote another column on this idiotic notion that without Jimmy Carter, we could never have had Ronald Reagan, that we needed Carter to have Reagan, which is so insulting to me and ridiculous, that idea. President Reagan almost knocked off an incumbent, albeit one that came to power without being elected to the vice presidency or presidency, in Gerald Ford in 1976. He almost beat him. He would have beaten Carter no matter what. And don't forget, there was a third party candidate that year, and President Reagan outpolled both of them to win the White House. So we have that idea that unless there's some black swan event, unless there's some real careful machination, unless we have one of those McClellan plans where we can really just game the system, there's no way people are going to choose Republicans. And that shows their weakness, the lack of confidence in their ideas. I can understand it from President Trump. The guy comes from the world of real estate. He doesn't come from government and governing. And you know, in real estate, if you look at the White House as just another piece of real estate that you want to hold on to, you probably do a lot of stuff to try to hold on to it. But of course, the White House is not just a real estate deal where you can try to leverage and buy other property next door and get what you want. It doesn't work that way. But Republicans thinking they can only pick up the ball and score when the other team fumbles, as I wrote here in the New York Sun, is not getting them any wins. As I said in here, would Vince Lombardi tell his players the only chance they have is if the opposing quarterback breaks a leg? The object is to win, Lombardi once said, fairly, squarely, by the rules, but to win. That's the attitude that Republicans need to have. No more of this whining that they keep doing. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear Democrats whining about threats to our democracy. As a historian, I will tell you, our democracy is going to be just fine if we shepherd it. But what's going to destroy it is this idea that is this delicate, fragile thing. Here, actually, Vice President Harris said this recently about our democracy while talking to Al Sharpton, of all people. Share with me, what is it that you have on your mind when you wake up every morning? Our democracy. Wherever I think everything is at stake right now. Um, when I think about democracy, I, I, I think of it as its nature is there's a duality, there are two pieces to it. There's one aspect of a democracy that is about strength. When a democracy is intact, it strengthens the people, it protects and fights for fundamental freedoms, individual rights. It's a, it's a fight for order against chaos. It strengthens. On the other hand, democracy, incredibly fragile. Now, who does this benefit? Who does broadcasting to the world that we are very fragile, our democracy is hanging by a thread, who does it help? You're a foreign adversary. You're Iran who's about to get nuclear weapons. They're about to finally get those tools to make good their 40, 50-year pledge of death to America. They hear our democracy is hanging by a thread. Why wouldn't they go drop a bomb on us? This is something that I learned from a survivor of Pearl Harbor. Jim Downing is the name, and you can go look it up at historyauthor.com, hear that interview. 
I asked him what his advice was as a veteran of the Second World War and having survived Pearl Harbor for the United States of America. And he said, weakness invites aggression. Let me go back and play you that clip right now. This is Lieutenant Jim Downing. This is from 2016. And Lieutenant Downing was 103 years old when I interviewed him. At the time, he was the second oldest survivor of Pearl Harbor. And he joked with me off the air that sometimes he thinks of sticking out his foot and stripping the oldest survivor <laughs> just so that he could be the oldest survivor. His book was The Other Side of Infamy, My Journey Through Pearl Harbor and the World of War. How do we know when we're inviting aggression by weakness and how do we know when to turn the other cheek in international matters? Well, I feel that the only language that ambitious tyrants have is force. President Ronald Reagan had a policy of peace through strength. And he coined the phrase, weakness invites aggression. Our potential enemies have good spy brains. They know what we can do. And as long as we can equal or outarm them and be ready, they will be cautious. So we don't take a chance on appeasement or weakness. Be strong, and they know it. And then we're not afraid to use the weapons we have. It was such a great honor to speak with him, and I learned so much in this conversation that stuck with me. And he's passed away since, gone on to his reward, has Lieutenant Jim Downing. But here he is talking about keeping America safe and just think in general how you deter aggression by being strong and showing you're ready to throw that Sunday punch. I wrote a column on it, I guess, last anniversary of Pearl Harbor Day. He said, weakness invites aggression. Keep America strong. I've seen that when I read history again and again and again. There have been so many times we showed weakness and we ended up stuck in a war. And I just would like to see more strength portrayed by everybody. Not whine, not act like this is the end of the world because it is not. We survive these things. I personally refuse to let all of this bad news affect my mood. If I want to affect my mood, I'll go for a run on the treadmill or I'll go out in the yard and I'll work on my garden or I'll go build something. But I'm not going to let anybody affect my mood as long as I can avoid it. And as long as there's still fight to be had, as long as we still have the power of the ballot. And I would say with that deficit that Republicans have in the election, as far as registered voters right off the bat, a lot of other people who think like me, I'm still a registered independent just because I never checked that box when I registered to vote when I was 18. But I would think a lot of other people who are supporting want to see President Biden lose, see what he's doing to the country. They have to have that same attitude. Republicans have that deficit of millions and millions and millions of people, over 11 million compared to Democrats and registered voters. You can't afford to be nasty and angry when you're outgunned like that. When you don't have the media, you can't afford to just be whining on Fox News. That is not enough, I think. I think people who care about the country want to get their ideas out there. The whining is so unattractive. That sounds a little bit weak to say it that way, but it's true. What is it going to get you? If President Trump wants to fight his way out of this, he's going to have to do it by a way other than whining. And if he wants to go that way, I won't be participating in that part of it. America is going to survive. I don't need cable news to sensationalize things. I've read about enough horrible things in the world that have happened. 
So that's my opinion on this. That is the area that occurred to me that I could share with all of you that would be different from what everyone else is saying. And that's just not to whine about this. Whoever you are, I guess we can't stop people from gloating or whining. But for me personally, I would tell all of you, you'd be much happier if you don't act like this solves your life. Whoever the president is or the candidate for president is, they're not going to come mow your lawn. And to me, that's, that's the ultimate sign of friendship. They're all friendly. They're all part of a big clique. Don't let them rip out your intestines and river dance on them. The country is going to survive this. I can't say the country will come out all of this stronger. I can't say any of this is a good thing, but I can't say just whining and just trying to get a little bit of attention, a few clicks is really insulting to the gravity of the situation. But don't be surprised. This is what Donald Trump should have expected when he came down the escalator. The fact that he didn't doesn't mean now's the time to whine about it. He is going to, if I had to guess, adjust, find another strategy and continue going forward. But for everybody else, don't whine and be negative about it. Never be negative. I know I mentioned Rush earlier, but it's so true. The guy's dying of cancer. Never complained, never whined. People would call him asking to have their spirits lifted just because that's what he always did for them. I couldn't believe it. And I would find myself not liking those people, being mad at those callers. And yet on a weekend, I couldn't wait for Monday to come and hope that Rush would be well enough to come on the air because I wanted him to lift my spirits. And then I would feel bad about that too. There's so many horrible things in the world. America remains the last best hope of man on earth. I would focus on that no matter what the news is. Instead of the whining, instead of our anger, we can all go out there and talk to somebody and try to convince them try to advance things, not give in to the anger, not give in to the panic or worry. So that's my take on this entire situation. I hope that it has been uplifting to some of you. I'll be honest, I don't know that it is, but I remain hopeful and optimistic. Whatever shakes out with these indictments, we shall see. Hopefully it is a positive resolution, but I'm honestly not going to be consuming much media about it, at least until Derek comes back. I want to leave you with something that I found hilarious and I think you'll enjoy too. Remember the 1998 movie Armageddon? I think it won seven Oscars that year. No, of course it didn't. It was horror. It was not that kind of a movie. It was just big, dumb action spectacle, fun. But there was a craving for it that year because there was two movies like that. There was Deep Impact and Armageddon at the same time. Here's just a little bite of Ben Affleck's commentary on Armageddon, where he talks about the underlying absurdity of the plot and tries to have a little bit of input in it. The Michael he refers to here is Michael Bay, the producer and director of Armageddon. I asked Michael why it was easier to train oil drillers to become astronauts than it was to train astronauts to become oil drillers, and he told me to shut, shut, shut the f- up. So that, that was the end of that talk. He was like, you know, Ben, just shut up, okay? You know, this is a real plan, all right? I was like, you mean it's a real plan at NASA to train oil drillers? He was like, just shut your mouth. (laughs) See, here's where we demonstrate that, because Bruce is going to tell the guys that they did a bad job of building the drill tank. He did a piss. See, he's a salt-of-the-earth guy. And the NASA nerdonauts don't uh, don't understand uh, his salt-of-the-earth ways, his rough-and-tumble ways. Well, that's because your cans are all like somehow they can build rocket ships, but they don't understand like what makes a good tranny. <laughs> we've, actually, uh, we've had them training for eight months solid now. Eight whole months? Well, pretty much, yeah. Oh, gee whiz. Like eight whole months, as if that's not enough time to learn how to drill a hole. But in a week, we're going to learn how to be astronauts. Oh, one whole week? Now you know how to fly into space? 
I need my guys. Why do you need them? They're the best. Everyone's the best. Why are they the best? I don't know. They just are. I'm only the best because I work with the best. If you don't trust the men you're working with, you're as good as dead. If you want to send these boys into space, fine. I'm sure they'll make good astronauts. They don't know jack about drilling. I mean, this is a little bit of a logic stretch, let's face it. They don't know jack about drilling. How hard can it be? Aim the drill at the ground and turn it on. You think it's just drilling a hole? There's a lot you gotta know about. And when you're gonna break, snap off an edge in a tranny on a corner of a hot pipe, and you're gonna get a gas pocket. Like, yeah, well, what about when the booster rockets don't fire and your EVA suit and your zero gravity, you know? Didn't you see? A, didn't you see Apollo 13, boy? <laughs> sure, I could play a lot of those Trump bites and other people commenting on this, and give you lawyers. You could find that anywhere. But where else are you going to find Ben Affleck talking about how horrible Armageddon is? Right? Nowhere. That's where. Well, that's it for today. I hope you're feeling a little more uplifted. Please do visit Derek at patreoncom Podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. Derek will be doing that weekend effort review, so you can listen to that, hear the news talked about the way it deserves to be talked about. If you're tired of all my sunny, Pollyannish attitude here, you've been too uplifted, you want Derek to just express the anger and rage you're feeling inside right now, well, by all means, sign up for the weekend effort review. You will get your fill, and he'll vent his spleen so you don't have to. Again, my name is Dean Carianis. You can find me at History Dean on Twitter, and you can find my show at HistoryAuthor.com. If you would like to enter the New York Sun sweepstakes to win an autographed copy of Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's Never Give an Inch, Fighting for the America I Love, visit nysun.com book. And if you'd like to get a subscription to the New York Sun for just a penny a day and get that snazzy New York Sun mug, who doesn't love a free mug? It's as great as a free t-shirt. A mug is even better. A t-shirt wears out. But a mug is going to be fantastic right there on your table. You will look so smart. Impress and wow your friends. That offer is at nysun.com slash mug. We would love to have you as a reader. We are bringing journalism back, doing what we can to do it. We have some really fantastic journalists there, some veterans of some great papers. I, between you and me, don't tell anybody. I'm always a little bit intimidated when I go to the New York Sun meetings. I know I have to step up my game. I know I have to be smarter because I'm a kid from Rutgers. I went to Rutgers for animal science. I'm there with people from Harvard and these big universities. And it's really an honor to be there that they want my perspective. Justice Thomas happened to mention to me that he had a law clerk at the time from Rutgers University. And I told one of my friends at one of the Rutgers games, who's a lawyer, and he said, oh, my gosh, that's so great. This guy's not a conservative by any stretch. He worked for Frank Lautenberg, our Democratic senator. I said, wow, why are you having that reaction? You're really positive. He said, because they usually only take law clerks that are from Harvard and Yale and big schools like that. To get one of us in there that went to Rutgers to give that person an opportunity is really great. So that made me happy. And next time I saw Justice Thomas, I mentioned that. So that's how I feel at these New York Sun meetings. And I think all of you will feel welcome there because we're not talking down to anyone, but it's really smart. You want to stretch your brain. Like the old days when I used to read National Review, I would go to the newsstand and pick up actual physical magazines and newspapers. Which was the style at the time?
Yes, this was in olden times. And I would read everything. I'd read the Village Voice. <laughs> it was always fun to read. I would read the National Review. I would read the Nation. I would read the Wall Street Journal. I would read whatever I could to see what people were thinking and saying out there. That's what I think the New York Sun does for you. You'll enjoy going there. And I'm talking about it not because this is a long plug. I'm talking about it because I really am that passionate about the New York Sun. I want to see it succeed and I want to share it. When you're excited about something, you want to share it, right? So that's why I'm mentioning it. Please do. Check it out, get that mug if you like, or just check it out. You can go there and you can get a few free articles just by signing up, put in your email address and see if you like it. See if I am telling the truth, you will. I don't lie to you. Would I lie to you? I'm like the Eurythmics over here. I would not lie to you. If you're not old enough to get that, well, I envy you. You probably have more hair than me too. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'll be back tomorrow on Thursday with more news, politics, pop culture, obscure references, and history that you just won't find anywhere else. You'll shoot your eye out, kid.